You're smart. Your TV is smart. That's why you cut the cord. But you need one more thing. Alaska's news source. Watch live or when it's convenient for you. Here's how. Just search Alaska's news source on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, or Android TV. Install and enjoy. It's completely free and has everything you need in one spot. Breaking news. Statewide weather. In-depth investigations. Start streaming Alaska's news source live today. Welcome to The Political Pipeline. I'm David Bernkoff. I'm Rebecca Polsha. We have many, many, many things to talk about today. It's a busy day. It surely is a busy day. It's been a busy week. As often is the case here, we're going to begin by talking about the homeless situation because the municipality has joined with, I think, 16 other Western cities to ask the U.S. Supreme Court to take up a Ninth Circuit Federal Appeals Court ruling that gets in the way of um, abating camps. Abating camps. And there are many people who think it's a bad ruling, and there Mm -hmm. are many people who think it's a good ruling, including the ACLU. They don't like the idea of just being able to move people off public land if you don't have a place for them to go. So let's just very briefly explain that court ruling, and it only applies to the states that are part of the Ninth Federal Circuit, which is just the Western Let's states. Say, yeah, we're just the Western half. Not even half. Oh, yeah. Small <laughs> sliver of sliver West Coast of the states, West. including Alaska. The rest of the country doesn't have to deal with this court ruling, although many municipalities act this way that they won't abate mm-hmm. public land without shelter, but they don't have a legal requirement that says you basically can't. So... Anchorage and other cities are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to take up the Ninth Circuit again. The Supreme Court has already refused once to take it up. We don't know if they'll refuse again, but that will take a lot of time before that gets decided. (laughs) Yeah. So don't expect any change in the Ninth Circuit rules for this winter. But what is changing this winter is that the... Sullivan Arena, not available. Not available. And we are waiting, as we record this, we are still waiting to hear the details of a promised winter shelter plan. However. I just want to point out, too, that this morning I woke up, there was frost. And my water, my duck's water was frozen. So. And where do your ducks go when the water is frozen? (laughs) They then go back to their coop. Okay. Well. If we can use that analogy. Right. Winter is here. Winter is here, (laughs) and I don't mean to belittle where people have to live, but the duck coop for the ducks, there's no equivalent place right now. No, no. And we are told that by the end of this week, the municipality will be able to announce more than 500 beds for winter shelter spread amongst three locations. But they are not telling us yet what two of those locations are. One is the old sanitation facility. Right. That'll be a congregate setting, which means a lot of beds in one location. They're talking about roughly 150 beds there. I think I think the mayor, for a soundbite from him yesterday, said, it's the best of the worst, I think was his, was his quote for about that 
about that location. And what we hear over and over again when we talk to people who are homeless is they don't like these congregate facilities because they have no privacy. They say things uh, are stolen from them. It's just not an ideal oh, situation. Like, like a litany of ideas between people having pets and people being afraid of getting beat up. There's just a whole bunch of things that in the sound bites that we've had with people saying they would rather be outside. Right. But there will be uh, apparently 150 roughly beds in that location and then two other locations to be named later shortly, mm-hmm. which will have nearly 400 more beds. Some of those beds will be double occupancy hotel rooms, we think. And then we think some of those beds will also be in another congregate mass facility, although uh, maybe a smaller number uh, than the 150, maybe 100. But the details remain uh, unpublicized for now. The important thing is that because of that court decision, and we're Mm. coming around full circle (laughs) here, once those beds are available, the city says it will begin putting up notices, and they've already started telling people at 3rd and Ingra, you're going to have to leave here. That will be quite the scene. That will be. And I wonder, too, you know, this stuff doesn't just these ideas of here's where we're going to put a shelter or here's where we're going to house homeless people is those always begin with the community councils. And there's some, you know, some behind the scenes work done to make, to have buy-in from the neighborhood neighborhoods have questions and to have heard nothing from anybody is interesting. And the, the, uh, the, recycling facility that's different on some level because it's such an industrial area but there's still businesses over there but it is industrial more so than other places we have seen and we just don't know these we don't know where these beds are and one would assume that if there was going to be any potential community anger that people making decisions would be reaching out to the people in those communities Mm -hmm. Uh, but they are keeping the details private at this point, the reason they give, the reason the municipality gives for keeping it private is that there's a process. You put out requests for proposals. People have a certain amount of time um, to respond. Then you have to execute a contract until all those I's are dotted and T's are crossed. You can't go public. And that's supposed to happen any day now. (laughs) We will, of course, keep up with that. This all gets us around to saying we have a pretty interesting, I would say unique special coming up, airing in primetime twice, Uh this Friday, October 6th on CBS Channel 5, 9 p.m., and then again after football, Sunday night on NBC, 7.30 p.m., and of course it'll be on our website, I'm excited about this. How would you describe, I produced it and I'm really close to it. So, you know, you get to a point when you're, you've edited something and re-edited it and (laughs) re-edited it where you become kind of snow blind. You know, I, since we sat down and watched the full thing uninterrupted yesterday, um, I was really struck by the lack of being like, this is so-and-so's fault. Um, You know, that kind of tone. It was very much like, here's. My belief system says X group, and this is why I operate this way. And so that was – it just is more um, – just more breathing room. 
And so I feel like people could be more nuanced and be a little bit more thoughtful in their comments. And so that was and, – and, and minus the finger pointing, it was like, oh, I see your point of view. Oh, I see your point of view for people in vastly different spectrums of what is the correct answer for this. I hope the audience agrees with that because that was definitely our intention was to make this more about solutions, more positive. We mm-hmm. have many more positive stories here than negative stories. And to let those who are involved in trying to come up with solutions explain the reasons why they think their ideas are good rather than why somebody else's ideas are bad. Yeah. I liked that. It was, you know, here's why my idea is good. And it, you can really see a belief system, which I appreciated, you know, to just be like, this is what this person believes government's role is. This is what this person's belief system of just as a society, what we owe people. And so you really get a clear understanding of just where people stand and you can see why they feel the way they do based on their uh, kind of moral and, 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 you know, belief system. Right. And it includes a lot of what we see here in Anchorage. And it also includes some things that we saw when we went down to Houston, Texas to see how they handle the homeless situation there and some differences between the way they handle it and other cities handle it. But ultimately it's up to the audience to decide if it's any good or not. (laughs) I look forward to feedback just as we look forward to feedback on this podcast. Uh And we hope you will provide us feedback and follow us and subscribe to us and all that stuff. Now let us move to the mayor's race because a couple (laughs) of things have been going on there. One is, it got cold, as we talked about, and Mm -hmm. the mayor promises a new snow removal plan. After a disastrous last year. He's got to hit a home run on this one Mm -hmm. for his campaign, not to mention his actual job as mayor. And yesterday at a press conference, he did say there's more money going into the snow removal plan in in the next budget, but he didn't reveal any details of the snow removal plan. They've now put that off for a few more days, maybe another week. Were they so not, not revealing how much more? Or? $1.5 million more. And he hinted at some new policies, but they had said last week at a press conference that he would have those details this week. And now it's this week they said, week. nah, it's, it's, yeah. it's coming next week. So hopefully we won't have any snow between now and then. <laughs> I did check the weather forecast, and it looks like maybe there'll be a little bit of freezing. I think, I think there, it's still but... a little early. It doesn't smell like snow yet. Okay. Well, I don't <laughs> have that skill set. <laughs> this is a, you know, science over here. <laughs> One of the people the mayor is running against definitely uh, upped her game and got a little more aggressive in the last couple of weeks, and yeah. that's Suzanne LaFrance, who announced a few union endorsements. Yeah. Uh, I think that it followed. Bill Pop coming into the race, and maybe she just decided the campaign's got to get going here. You know, I'm starting to see signs, too, for her campaign. And granted, I I, I have to drive through downtown to get to my house, um, and so that would be kind of a more liberal area of town to see those signs, but I am seeing a lot more. So that's just kind of fascinating. I saw my first mayor oh, sign. It was for the person who, um, oh my gosh, I'm sorry to say this, uh, Mr. Colby who is uh, the relatively unknown wild card in the race, okay. but I did see a big sign for really? him out there. 
on Abbott, I believe. And Dustin Darden is back. Who? Dustin Darden. He runs for, he was like a forever running for mayor. So he's back too. Oh, He's a new one. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Maybe that's whose sign I saw. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Enough about politics and homelessness. We have to talk about something that was fascinating in every regard. This was. I spent Friday afternoon at the federal courthouse downtown, and it was to attend the arraignment of two individuals who are accused of fraudulently taking $1.6 million in COVID relief money through the ARPA program. That's federal money given out by Anchorage. They're accused of misusing it. Mm -hmm. And the federal government uh, says they took that money almost immediately, put it into private accounts, and used it to buy a beauty salon, to buy cryptocurrency, and to pay taxes that they owed the IRS for other businesses. So the money never went into what it was supposed to go into, which was helping house and train homeless people for work. So it's a pretty tough charge, and the two of them were brought straight from prison in their yellow prison outfits. They both, through their court-appointed attorney, entered not guilty pleas to five charges each. Now, one of the things that we should say going into this, because we're about to read some emails to you, dear listeners, and we're going to read them in great detail because they shed light on just how people react to this sort of controversy. The Anchorage Assembly took a bunch of requests they put out request they put out notice that we have this 100 million dollar plus in federal money that we will give out to you the nonprofits of the community to use for good and they got a bunch of people saying here's my idea and they made the decision the assembly made the decision who got the money mayor bronson was not even the mayor at that point then once the money was given to the to the mayor's administration. The administration changed, and it's then the Bronson administration that was responsible for issuing the checks and following through to make sure that the money was used appropriately. And as part of that, they required different organizations, including uh, this organization, to file paperwork to support that they were using the money properly, and the feds say they filed phony reports. Mm -hmm. So the two people involved, one is named Rosaline Mavaega, and the other is named Esau Fulima Jr. It turns out that Rosaline Mavaega was appointed by Mayor Bronson to be on two different city commissions. So when we found out about the indictment, we had a couple of questions for the mayor. And the first question was, what is his reaction to the indictment? And then the next question was, what was his reaction to uh, Ms. Mavaega still being on these boards? Or was she even still on these boards? So I got an answer from Veronica Hoxie, the mayor's communications person, at 208 
that afternoon that said, I'm just going to read this as a quote. I'm going to read several quotes here. Ms. Mavaega is still serving on the Anchorage Equal Rights Commission and the Housing, Homeless, and Neighborhood Development Commission. When she was investigated in May, and that was investigated for unrelated issues uh, for another business, and also this issue, when she was investigated in May, the mayor asked for her resignation, which she declined. The mayor cannot unilaterally remove a a member of boards and commissions per municipal code. However, Ms. Mavega's service is under official review by the Board of Ethics. So then, because she had not answered the main question, which was, what is the mayor's reaction to the indictment? She then sent another email uh, about an hour later that said, This is a quote from the mayor. That's what the email says. Someone with a history of fraud should never have received these funds. The grant applicants should have been vetted before the assembly appropriated the funds. They decided who got money and how much. Mm -hmm. So throwing it back on the assembly, which then led me as a good journalist to send a note to Christopher Constant asking him to respond to the mayor blaming the assembly. And I believe he responded. He did. He said, we appropriate the funding. It's so interesting to see the mayor point fingers at the assembly and shouting separation of powers. The assembly doesn't have the authority to draft agreements and ensure compliance. That's squarely in the hands of the mayor. That said, I do accept responsibility for voting yes to a fraudulent proposal made by friends of Mayor Bronson, I promise to be more careful vetting and any proposal supported by the mayor and his friends. So, Mr. Constant throws it back at the mayor, and I'm, I guess you could say that was a somewhat personal way, making note of the fact that this was someone who the mayor was a supporter of, even though the mayor was not mayor when this money was first given to House of Transformation. Then, a little later, Mr. Constant and Meg Zalatel issued a more... Uh, formal response. Uh, formal response. We are disappointed to learn of the allegations of fraud, conspiracy, money laundering, and other charges. And so then it goes on to say, it is therefore very disheartening to learn that these funds were not likely used by the intended good and instead went on to enrich Miss Mavaya. And then another line. Finally, it's our hope that the actions of a few bad actors do not detract from the incredible work and overwhelming overwhelming majority of recipients achieved through federal recovery investments. So that's a little more... um, PR-ish. (laughs) PR-ish. But we thought it was interesting to let you hear the full exchange before maybe a cooler head prevailed. I think everybody took a little nice little jab at each other. (laughs) They took a little jab and then they wrote Mm -hmm. a nicer email, at least on the assembly side. Uh, So where we are and where we're ending this podcast is back at a story that we've been trying to dig at for months and months and months. And that is to learn how the municipality of Anchorage, in fact, does check up on all of these organizations, House of Transformation, Mm -hmm. others, to make sure that money was used as promised and appropriately. And do you have the receipts 
And what we keep finding out is that the administration will tell us, yes, we we fill out all the appropriate paperwork, but we can't get our hands on that paperwork. We have been asking. We've had attorneys involved, and we will continue to ask because this indictment clearly shows mm -hmm. that paperwork was filed that was not accurate, and we don't know whether the city tipped um, the feds. We don't know whether a story that was in the newspaper, the Anchorage Daily News, helped tip the feds. They did a story on the background of the two people involved that raised questions about them. We just don't know because we can't get at those supporting documents, but we will keep trying. And the thing about that, too, is... My goodness, what an accounting nightmare that must be because it's such a mass amount of money. But you do owe it to the public to say where this money was spent. And the thing, and the, the, uh, the tone during COVID also was just get the money out quickly because people were going under. And so, you know, kind of we'll ask questions later and hopefully people are on the up and up at the beginning. And so now I can see, geez, this is a nightmare to deal with. There's no question that the priority was Cities and states, mm -hmm. counties, all across the country got a lot of money. Anchorage got just over $100 million in ARPA money. And you're in the middle of a crisis and you say, get that money out and... Start doing the work. Start doing yeah. the work. We need, like, don't slow down. Now it's time to slow down. Uh -huh. And so figuring out what money was used appropriately, what wasn't, maybe some of these organizations will need to refund some money. We don't know. This is the very first and so far only actual indictment. There could be more. We're not assuming that most of these organizations didn't use the money as they were supposed to, but the process of checking on that is not completely transparent. No. And we're just going to keep working on yeah, it, right? Absolutely. Keep going. So if you have any insights <laughs> into that, if you work for one of these organizations or groups and you think there might be something shady going on, you know how to reach us. Please do. Absolutely. Because we are interested in, in learning more about this. And I do know that, that a U.S. federal inspector general once said to me, that it doesn't matter what the program is, what the intent is, how much money is involved, you can usually figure that about 10% roughly has either been Oof. stolen or misused. That's terrible to hear that. Jeez. It's <laughs> terrible, but that was his job was to wow. figure it out. But his point was yeah. when you're talking hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, even at the federal level, it's not just Anchorage. It's mm -hmm. really hard to keep track of that money. And you can imagine in a city like Anchorage, there's not a huge staff of financial people. Oh, just sitting around looking through their books, making sure everything got spent right. Yeah. Especially when it's $100 million extra dollars yeah. that you weren't expecting. So there you go. That's where we are now. Uh, many things will happen but before we do another podcast, I'm sure. But today was one of the busiest ones we've ever done, I believe. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> All right, time for a cup of coffee. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you.